Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua and no matter where you're listening from, we look forward to the next 90 minutes with you interacting with us here on That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, good evening, Brother Nathan. And let me say good evening to those who are listening. Thank you so much for allowing us to be in your home. And if you would like to interact with us, maybe you have a question that someone asked you about Christianity, about life, about the Bible, about a Christian worldview, about church, why the church does something, doesn't do something, is it right, is it wrong? We would love to hear your question and answer it from a biblical worldview. This evening, we are going to continue the discussion that we started last week which was on Ezekiel 38 and 39, and on the topic of Gog and Magog. Pastor, I know you covered a lot of material last week, but can you give us a brief overview to kind of set the stage for those who didn't hear last week's episode? Yep. First of all, let me remind the people who are listening uh, that this is a question that was posed to us by one of our listeners who was just responding to this question that came in. And I... When I did a series on prophecy, I really wanted to deal with Ezekiel 30 and 39, but uh, I, I don't remember the reason why I didn't do it. So when I saw this question coming, I immediately punked on it and thought it was a good subject to deal with because it is something very current. Substantially, what we have in Ezekiel chapter 30 and 39 is one of the great future global wars that's going to occur in the latter days. And this is going to be a coalition of nations headed by Russia, and it will be uh, the Arab and the Afro-Muslim groups who will join with Russia to come against Israel. Uh, there are northern countries that are coming from the north. Some will come from the east, and some will come from the south. When you come from the north, east, and south, the only place Israel is left is the west, and the west is the Mediterranean Sea. So she has nowhere to go. She, she will be surrounded by these uh, nations that will come against her. But miraculously, uh, not through any human agency, uh, God is going to intervene, and he's going to be such a great um, cataclysmic destruction of the enemy uh, that it will take months, uh, seven months, burying the dead. Uh, and it will also uh, result in um, uh, God being glorified so that the nation of the earth recognize uh, conclusively that this had to be a divine intervention. And so God is uh, recognized as the God of Israel. And Israel, too, recognizes that this was an intervention of God. It's going to be a supernatural uh, intervention on, God, on God's part. But this is something that is futuristic. Uh, it is not something that's occurred in the past. 
And it seems to me when you look at the global political alliances today that the forces that will come against Israel are currently aligned. Uh, it's just a matter of time. We know that uh, Russia and Iran works very closely. We know that Turkey also is an Islamic country that's against Israel. We also know that Sudan and Libya, which are also mentioned uh, in this particular prophecy, are part of that um, Islamic group. So um, it seems to me that the stage is being set for this uh, event to occur. When it's going to occur specifically, we are not told. But there is one landmark in the passage that indicates that it says a time when Israel will be at peace and rest without walls. And it uh, it causes me to wonder if this is going to be during the tribulation period when the Antichrist would have signed a peace pact with Israel offering peace and then during that period of time this event occurs. But <clears throat> that is uh, perhaps the main feature that would lead me to think that it's probably something futuristic in terms of the tribulation period. But we don't know what will happen uh, on the global scene right now. And uh, we do know that these nations are already uh, great antagonists of Israel. And we just have to read the Bible, look at the newspapers, look at current events to, to kind of get an understanding of what really is going to happen in the very near future. Now, you referenced that these countries coming against Israel based on this prophecy are of Muslim uh, belief, Islam. How would you respond to the listener who says, Pastor Murphy, you're just Islamic-phobic, if that's a word, and you're just trying to spew hatred? <clears throat> well, there's a simple answer to that. You, you can take the nations that I mentioned in chapter 38, and anyone that has any sense of geography or history or any, any encyclopedia available to them, you'll see that the Bible identifies who these are going to be. Uh, I did an exercise uh, last time we were here to look at the particular countries that will form this coalition. We know that the northern countries we mentioned is Gog, uh, which is really a, a, a title. Uh, it's like Caesar or the Tsars. Uh, so it, it's, it's a title. We know that Magog... Uh, is actually out of uh, southern Russia. Uh, we know that uh, Tubal as well, uh, that can be traced um, again to southern Russia. Uh, we also were able to show that when you look at the um, historical documents, for example, uh, we discover that, um, for example, that uh, Porcus, who was preaching in 434 AD, the 447 AD, he was a, 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 a what you might call a orthodox missionary sent. Uh, he was sent to Rosh, and where he ministered was Russia. So clearly, from I'm not talking about something uh, uh, current. That was uh, about uh, 2016 years ago. Yet when they were being sent there, quite frankly, that was when he was sent to Rosh, and he went to Russia. Also, we mentioned that. Um, the Greek Orthodox Church uh, also sent their missionaries north to Rosh, which is Russia. And then also uh, Eben Foslan, who was a geographer, Arabic geographer from 908 to 932. Uh, he, uh, in his ge uh, geographic uh, documents, indicated that Rosh was Russia. So it's very, very hard uh, when you look at the, the evidence uh, that historically that clearly this is a northern alliance. And then the other thing in the book itself, it says that the uttermost part of the north, this is where this northern country is coming from. Anyone that has a globe and draw a line from Israel, you see the uppermost part is Russia. So we know that Russia is involved. The other thing that we know that Persia is involved. 
because the Bible identifies Persia as one of those nations. Anyone that knows any any, any history know that Persia was Ira- uh, Persia Iran was Persia until 1932. Mm-hmm. The name Persia was changed to Iran in 1932. That's a that's a historical fact. So it's not as though we are pulling. And what is Iran? Muslim. A Muslim country. Not only a Muslim country, but a bitter Muslim country that yeah. uh, has a population of over 60 million Muslims who would like to destroy to Israel. And then, of course, we come to uh, Tubal, and so we know that Tubal is also um, part of, uh, it, as a matter of fact, it's called the, the southern major city, uh, Tubal's. So the etymology, that word, is linked to the Bals, which is the southern capital of Russia. And then the other one that we we, uh, we talked about is uh, um, the country of um, Libya and also the country of uh, Sudan. Those are all mentioned in the passage that we read and we looked at uh, last time when we were considering what are these particular countries that are being mentioned uh, in, in Scripture. The other thing we mentioned, Nathan, is that Meshach, which is the word that is mentioned. Um, it is uh, in the southern part of, of Russia as well. And uh, uh, Meshach is linked to Moscow by people who do linguistic studies. They said that it went from uh, Meshach to Moshosh to Moscovy, then to Moscow. These are people who study etymology of the words to see where the words were originated and so on. So it's not a, just a matter of um, um, being Islamic phobic. As, you, as you've mentioned, you've got to look at the places of the mention, and anybody can take a Bible dictionary or an encyclopedia to see that the, lo- the places that these are mentioned, where they are, where they're located. So it's not as though, I suppose they might say, we, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, anti-African as well, because I mentioned the Afro countries, but they are Islamic African countries we're talking about. Sudan is, and Libya is, right? So you you just got to take your... Uh, you got to have the objectivity when you go to Scripture. You just can't go to it saying, well, because I'm a Muslim, because I'm a Christian, therefore it, it, it can't mean that. If the words mean that and the geographical location refers to those kind of places, you just uh, give it as it is. You just can't be concerned because somebody call. I'm, I'm not worried about somebody calling me Islamic phobia, phobia for example, nor am I concerned about people calling me, um, you know, um, having gay phobia or something like that. That doesn't bother me one bit. What it's important is that we study the scriptures, see what the scripture teaches, because our job is to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman need not be ashamed. And there's so much prophecy that um, is yet to, to take place, and it's a wise Christian, an intelligent Christian, who tries to get an understanding of what is going on in the world by looking at the current events and comparing that with scripture to have an understanding of how God is bringing about his plan today. And this helps you to believe more firmly in the authority of the scripture, because when you begin to see the outline, for example, uh, who would think that Russia and Iran, now Russia is an atheist country, I mean, yeah. it's a communist country, but yet, uh, uh, again, Russia is the enemy of America, Iran is the enemy of America, so you can see that even though they are not religiously on the same par, you can see why. Again, Sudan is a, it's a Muslim country, Libya is a Muslim country, and you can see why Libya would want to get back at Israel as well, because what happened to Libya with Gaddafi and the Americans coming in and bombing, etc. So, when we look at the geopolitical arrangement of planet Earth today and what's going on, uh, we can see that these nations are already in cahoots with each other. For example, I mentioned before that Russia is the chief negotiator about the Iran deal trying to get... America is using Russia to deal with Iran. Now, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But again, it gives you the idea that um, I think that people, uh, in God, in bringing about his plan, 
I do feel that he blinds nations and leaders that they actually do what they're doing, not even understanding the repercussions. But I think that they're, they're, I think when a nation continues to be born against God again and again, I think those leaders are judicially blinded by God. Just like Israel, God has blinded Israel so she didn't believe the, 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 the truth when it came. Not because uh, of any ill will, but because when they had the truth, they rejected the truth. And as a result of that, God judicially blinded them. And I do think that the political leaders today who have completely ignored the Bible, gone contrary to Scripture, and ignored God for so long, I do think there's a blind spot that they can't see. I, looking on without having all the, the going, I can I can say to you that it looks a crazy situation. I can't understand the decisions that are being made. They make absolutely no sense to a man with common sense. But somehow, the political geniuses uh, think that the decisions they're making are the wisest decisions for the greatest welfare of the American, etc. But I can't see it. And I think people who... Uh, have average intelligence like myself or who are just could see raw facts looking at the, the whole scenario one wonders how people can be so stupid to make the decisions that they make it just doesn't make any sense to me why would you shut down the Keystone pipeline for example and then import oil from Russia and you're helping Russia more now with the war in Ukraine than at any other time in Russia's life. And Russia's, the value of the, the oil, the price has gone up so much that Russia's bringing in more money now than she had before the war started. How does that make sense, right? So I, I'm just a little bit confused. I think the politicians are really, some of them are very blinded. And I think there's a direct act of God to keep keep them in darkness, to lead them down a trail that's going to lead ultimately to this cataclysmic end that the Bible talks about. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.45 on this Tuesday evening. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive program. If you're listening to the rebroadcast on Saturday afternoon, we are glad you're listening. And you can still send in your question via WhatsApp or text message, and we will deal with it the following live episode. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454 or... On this Tuesday evening, while we are live in the studio, you can call and be put live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. Yeah, what I want to add, Nathan, that um, the great um, Hebrew scholar, Jesenius, you can get his lexicon, uh, the Rosh that is used in the text as translated prince, he himself have identified uh, Russia as Rush. So it's, it's, again, it's not only the linguistic uh, person, but he's a person who's studied the, the uh, who've done a lot of lexical work as well. He's indicated that. So I think that's another factor that needed to be added to this whole, this whole thing uh, about the identity of these particular um, countries that I mentioned. I just think it's fascinating, uh, the alignment today, and I just think it's, it's it just, I could not have conceived it. I don't think anybody could have conceived it. But uh, it's being played out exactly the Bible says. If you would like to hear last week's episode in its entirety, you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large photo that you see. It's a microphone, and right in the center, you're going to see a circle that says podcast. Click on that. And then you all see That's Truth and a link for the That's Truth podcast archive. And then look for episode 214, which deals with Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now that we have the foundation set and some basic information so we're all on the same page, Pastor, is it possible for you to give us an outline of the chapter itself? Well, Ezekiel 38, uh, there are four basic um, 
factors that are mentioned in the in the chapter, uh, the four major divisions. Verse number one to seven, uh, Ezekiel identifies the invaders. So he tells you who it is going to be in verses one to seven. In verses eight uh, to thirteen, he gives you the invasion of this confederacy. It tells you exactly how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. So you've got the identity of the invaders, the invasion actually of the confederacy, and then in verses 14 to 16 you have the intervention by God he tells you exactly how God is going to bring this whole attempt to destroy Israel to an end and it's going to be an extraterrestrial warfare where God is actually intervening on Israel's behalf and he does it in a supernatural way employing the elements of nature including fire uh, including an earthquake including volcanic activity including hailstones massive hailstones etc etc uh, there's seven different things that god mentions that he would use the weapons that man has no <laughs> control about no man can uh, fight against quite frankly these are uh, these are the elements that god is going to use because they're entirely supernatural at that particular juncture and then in verses uh, 70 to 23 you have the internment of the uh, the enemy, or you might call the annihilation, and it tells you exactly how long it's going to take to bury these people. I, I read a uh, book um, article on this uh, recently that if you take the amount of time it's going to take to uh, to bury these dead, and look at the size of the army, uh, the guy I don't know if he's exaggerating or not, but it's something like sixty million people. Hmm. Uh, so it's that's the. If you look at the normal size of the army and, and, and coming in, that's what the SF it take that long to bury. It's going to be a massive slaughter because God says it's going to be a sacrifice to Him. He's called every bird, every beast, every animal to field to come and feast on this, but the the, the, the carnage that's going to be there. So it's it's going to be a, a really terrible, devastating uh, result for Russia and her allies. Uh, but this is when God is going to assert to the whole world who is really God. And that, that is one of the most fascinating things that uh, would be said that the world would begin to recognize that the God of Israel is the true God of the world. This event, when it occurs, and the devastation to the armies of these nations will lead everyone to believe this cannot be a coincidence. Israel doesn't even have to use a, a one bomb, basically. God intervenes on Israel's behalf and totally obliterates the entire massive army that's presented before them. Isn't this the battle where the Bible says the blood will flow up to the bridle of the horse? Well, some people, uh, that is the, the battle of um, uh, Armageddon. Armageddon. Oh, okay. Uh, and that takes place at the end of the tribulation. Okay, I'm, but I'm this mixing. one, this one seems to be some people think it's going to occur before the tribulation period, but the reason why I kind of lean towards in the tri- is because of the fact that Israel's at peace without any walls. Now, Israel is not at peace without any walls today. She does have a wall, by the way, but again, a fence that goes around. But I don't think anybody in the Senate will say that Israel's at peace. So something has to happen for her to virtually kind of disarm herself and uh, rest in the protection of some other nation. And, uh, and the, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 to 27, 29, it does talk about the one who will sign a peace pact with Israel for seven years. And it be, uh, it's supposed to be seven years of peace. But Israel experienced three and a half years of peace, then he breaks the covenant, and then all hell breaks loose on planet Earth because of that. So it's a possibility that you can kind of dovetail that into this. But again, uh, I can't speak... Um, authentically that this is something that's going to happen in that specific time is just that something has to happen to Israel to be at peace and to disarm herself and pretty much depend on some other f- 
power to protect her uh, and so on. So I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen, and the Bible predicts it, and uh, there's nothing that anybody can change about that. It's just going to happen. The other thing, Nathan, that uh, might be worth mentioning uh, is that we know that this could not happen before 1948. Israel was not a nation for 2,000 years in 1948, the United, United Nations did a charter that once again reestablished Israel as a nation. It is then that all Israelis started flowing in from all nations of the world to come to Israel. And it's very, very significant that the Bible says that it will occur a time when he has gathered all his people from all the nations, out of the nations. The other thing is, Nathan, that the, uh, this is, uh, for example, they're brought back from out of the nations in verse 8. Uh, they're, they're people gathered out of the nations, verse 12, verse 14, verse 16. Uh, when the army comes, they're coming on the mountains of Israel. God refers to these are my people, Israel. Uh, uh, the cities of Israel are mentioned. The graves are in Israel. The house of Israel are mentioned. The mountains of Israel are mentioned. So anybody that has any doubt that Israel doesn't have a play in, in world history, God will be living in a fool's paradise. I don't see how you can read a passage like this and uh, come to the conclusion that God is finished with the nation of Israel. Uh, But clearly, and the other thing I I mentioned before, there are a lot of people who claim, for example, and it's being bandied around, I don't know where it's coming from, that the Africans are the Jews, the real Jews. Again, if you look at at this uh, particular thing, which nation did not exist for 2,000 years and were gathered from all over the world to come back to this homeland? Only Israel has done that. The other thing that the, the, one of the places I mentioned actually in Israel is called Bashan in this chapter, which is in the actual little Israel itself. So the, the land is the land of Palestine where, where, where this will occur. I, I'm just saying that because I, I, I can't understand the logic of what people think. I think sometimes they allow uh, either their nationalism or uh, the racial um, racial uh, identity to influence how they understand the Bible. And you can't do that. You have to uh, let the Bible speak for itself and, and stop trying to read into the Bible. That's called eisegesis, not exegesis. And I think that's where a lot of people go uh, and make a lot of mistakes along these prophetic lines and, and the Scriptures as well. Do you have a question? It doesn't have to pertain to end times. It doesn't have to pertain to... Uh, Ezekiel, or what we're discussing tonight, it can be about anything. We would love to hear your question and answer it from a biblical worldview. You can call and ask it live on the air by calling one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. I'll give that number to you again as you get your phone unlocked. Pick up a pen and a piece of paper to write it down. Call and be put live on the air by calling one two six eight. 462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. is your WhatsApp or text number. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 755 Anything else that you want to mention as far as an outline of the chapter before we well, move if, on? If we move through the, the chapter, just uh, uh, for example, we talk about the the um, the identity of the invading army, and if you would just like to one or two things very quickly, because people might want, for example, 
you've got the army mentioned uh, in verse 1 and 2, and then in verse 3, you've got the action that God will take. Look at uh, verse 3 and 4 and read that, please. Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, 3 and 4 say, And say thus, saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses, horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Yeah, so this gives you an idea of the action God is going to take. Um, he is God is involved in this whole process. Uh, he is going to turn uh, Russia back and her allies by summarily destroying the entire army. But what I would like to just mention here, if you look at the kind of weaponry that I mentioned, the army that's mentioned there in verse number 4b, uh, it talks about horses and bucklers and shields and swords. Uh, people say, but Pastor, we don't fight that way today. Uh, again, if they had said that we're going to fight with planes and fight with um, tanks, it would have been an anachronism. In other words, nobody knew what a tank was back in those days. Nobody knew what a plane was. What the prophet was forced to use is the, the, the kind of things that they were familiar with that would use in warfare. Horses, uh, bucklers, shields, swords, etc., etc. So he is using language that he can relate to. So when he's talking about the weapons here, for, for sure, uh, these are the weapons that he's just out military hardware that would be used. Uh, and uh, without any knowledge of the weaponry we have today, I mean, you're talking about Ezekiel writing about 780, right? So, uh, so you're talking, BC, sorry. You're talking about uh, how would he know about modern weapons? So I'm just trying to explain to people that he uses the language of his time to explain that this army is fully equipped. But whatever armor was used then is fully equipped. Uh, of course, to translate that today would, would not refer to buckler and shield and sword. But the whole idea that the army is coming against is, is completely fully equipped. There is one other thing that's worth mentioning. It mentioned coming on horses. Now, the only significant thing, well, that Russia has 74% of all the horses in the world, hmm. right? So I don't know if there's any significance to that. You know, the way people are talking today... Uh, it's as though they want everybody to lay down their arms and go back to use shields and swords. <laughs> now, I don't know if we'll ever get the crazy time in the world where uh, we become so ridiculous to do like that. I don't know. I do know this, that the weaponry that's going to be used in this is going to be burned. Uh, it's going to take, I forgot, we'll come to it shortly. Uh, and if I think for seven months or seven years, Israel would be burning the the equipment and using that as fuel as opposed to using other forms of fuel. The reason why I mention that is this. I've been giving some serious thought to this thing. You know, today, Nathan, they're trying to make the weapons lighter and lighter and lighter. Everything is lighter. They're moving away from metal and steel. They're now creating uh, plastics that are very, very, very tough. And as a matter of fact, you can actually use a machine today that will spin out plastic and make a gun. I don't know if you know right, that, right? Yeah. So I'm saying, I'm, I'm thinking that's what's the future weapon, etc. I think that when soldiers go to war, it's not going to be this heavy um, metal made of steel. I think it's going to be made of much more lighter material, which makes the the, 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 uh, the soldier much more agile. So when I was reading about the fact that they will use these weapons and then burn them up and use them as fuel, it, it's because these are hydrocarbons, materials made of hydrocarbons that is very few. It's like gas, whatever. Like we make plastic out of, etc. So it, it doesn't surprise me. When I'm, I'm reading and trying to make sense of how would they be able to burn these, and then I begin to realize that this is 
is where the world is headed. They, they don't want they want light equipment. They don't want heavy stuff. Even 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 tanks. I believe eventually we made a very very. I, when I was working for um, Geddes Grant as the manager of an uh, office of plants. The company in, in in England called Chubb in Wolverhampton, we went up there for a, a, a conference. I will never forget that. They made a safe that was so light. I forgot the name of it, but it was so tough. It was tougher than steel. To burn through it was mm. harder than to burn through steel. But the material was light. And the reason why they needed that, because if you want high-security safes and you've got to carry them to a very high top, yeah. You can't lift them because sometimes you've got to use a crane. But with this particular safe, the material that made it, you could lift it. So that made it, uh, people wanted a high, high security safe. At the same time, it was light enough to be transported uh, without having to go through all this process of getting a train and stuff like that. But that was that's almost 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I'm here 22 years. So that was when I was, man, that's almost 30 years ago. <laughs> I didn't realize it so long. But uh, the material... Uh, again, is is a material made from um, like um, petrol, but it, they they knew how to mix certain things. When it was a, a extremely tough material, but very 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 light. That was the key thing about why this safe was so unique, and the sales, uh, the prospect of sales were heightened because it took away this great heaviness, etc. But it made it even more secure by having this kind of material. I thought so when I was reading about these things being uh, burnt up and, and stuff like that, and Israel using it for I think it was seven years for fuel. I was saying, but if it was metal. That wouldn't make any sense. But surely materials that are being, the, the weapons are being made of today will be combustible, no question about that. So it's falling in line again with, with, with Bible prophecy as far as I'm concerned. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and I'm glad that you are. If you have a question, you can call in one two six eight. 462-7420. We'll put you live on the air. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. I know you may have a question, but you don't want to be the first one to send in a question for the evening. Don't worry. There is uh, no, it's a safe place for you to ask your question. There's, we're not here to argue or belittle or uh, question your rationale for asking the question. We are here to hear your question and then answer it from a biblical worldview. Maybe it's not a question that you have, but something that was asked of you and you would like some assistance in how to answer it to your coworker, to family member or friends who asked you this question. As we are talking about Ezekiel 38, uh, Pastor, when will this invasion occur? The exact date, the time? No. <laughs> when, when is it going to occur? <laughs> well, let the Bible answer that question when the invasion will occur. Because if you look at um, Psalm 38 and uh, read verses 8 to 13. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste. But it is brought, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, 
It shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up into the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate place, that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods, that dwell in the midst of the land, Sheba and Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered that company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, and to take away cattle and goods, to take great spoil? Yeah. Well, that be just the um, <clears throat> now talking about the invasion itself. And notice that uh, in verse number eight, it tells you one of the the crucial um, historical landmarks to give you an idea. It takes place when verse eight a. After many days, uh, uh-huh. Go ahead. Uh, in the latter years, thou shalt come into the land right. that is brought back from the sword. Two things there. One has to do with latter, latter days is what the, the word should be, latter years. This is talking about the end times. This is the uh, eschatological technical term that is used throughout the Bible for the final phase of human history, the latter days. And this is what is taught. It will occur in the latter days. Uh, the other thing is that, notice that the it comes when Israel is restored uh, out of the nations, brought back f- from the sword, gathered from out of many people. That's mentioned in verse number 8b. And then uh, the land is uh, a land that was repeatedly conquered and now brought back from... Uh, and the key thing here is brought back from out of the nations. Remember that in 722... When the Assyrians carried the northern kingdom, it carried them where into Syria. Remember that in uh, 586 BC, 586, when the Babylonians took the southern kingdom, Judah, it took them to Babylon. They were never scattered to the uttermost parts of the world. It was scattered to the uttermost parts of the world in 7080 when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Israel was scattered now to all the nations. So Israel has never been returning from all the nations. They came back from Babylon during the time when they rebuilt the temple. But this is a time when they're coming back from all the nations. This only occurred, as I said, in 1948 when Israel, which was not a nation for 2,000 years, was now by a, a, a United Nations mandate allowed to have a country called Israel. When that happened, Jews started coming back from all over the world, America, Russia, uh, you just name it, the Middle East, uh, uh, Egypt, wherever they were scattered, they started returning here. So this is an indication that this is, has to be the time that occurred in 1948. There was not a there was not a scattering all over the world in either 722 or 586 BC. Remember, it happened in 780 when the Romans scattered them all over the world. That now is where Israel is returning, and she returned, of course, in uh, <clears throat> uh, 1948. So th- th- those are the indicators. Um, and then the thing here that she dwells safely. This is the part that I am a little bit. Um, I don't know. That's why I try to f- perhaps try to imagine it. It, was, it could be the time when the Antichrist signs the peace treaty for seven years, and now she has <clears throat> security. That's a possibility. But I can't say definitively that it will be during the p- tribulation. What I'm seeing, if it is the tribulation period, what we're seeing today tells us then the rapture has to be much more closer because the rapture occurs before the tribulation. 
So it, it would give you a greater sense of urgency that we should be expecting the Lord return if this is an event that occurs during the tribulation because the nations that are already forming this confederacy are already on the scene and already have relationships with each other. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. it should be a great concern for believers to do that. If you look at verse number uh, 9 to 11, notice what the plan is, uh, day Nathan. Could you read that for me, please? Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and the many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up into the land of the unwalled villages, and I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them that dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Yeah, the thing here is that if you look at verse number 90, the, the whole plan basically is to completely overwhelm Israel with a massive army. The Bible uses some very strong language, like a storm, um, with all thy bands as a, as, a, as a cloud. The whole idea is that this invading, marauding military uh, confederation is of such a huge number that they're thinking they can completely overwhelm Israel. And uh, so the whole idea is shock and awe uh, with a massive invasion of Israel. And remember that Israel only has 10 million people. Uh, if I were to give you some stats... Um, in terms of the Muslim nations that surround Israel, for example, Israel has uh, about 9 million people. Iraq alone has 37 million people. Egypt is 97 million. Iran has 79 million people. Jordan has 9 million people. Syria has 17 million people. Saudi Arabia has 33 million people. Turkey has 80 million people. Yemen has 26 million. When you add up all of those, that's 380 million against 10 million. Wow. It is one... If you do the proportion, it's 1 to 42. 1 Israeli to 42 of the, the, the Arabs, uh, the, the Muslims. So they're thinking, uh, I know you've got Russia in the, into the picture, uh, uh, being leading leading this coalition. So you can see that it is as though we are going to completely... They're trying to accomplish what Hitler could not accomplish. Remember Hitler said it was the final solution? Yep. He would get rid of the Jewish nation. It seems as though the Antichrist motivated and pushed by... Uh, allowed by God to, to do this, that he believes he has the final solution to the Israeli problem. And uh, so they come to the overwhelming. And then, notice also, uh, Nathan, that they come up with a plan um, in verse number 10. Uh, read that, please. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time Shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought? Yeah, so it's an evil plan, and that evil plan, look at verse number 12. Verse 12 says, To take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate place that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Again, it's talking about the fact that there's something that they would like to get from Israel. And the question, of course, is um, what does Israel have that these foreign invaders would want? Uh, I think everybody knows that Israel's wealth 
has to do with a lot of agriculture. I mean, Israel exports all over the world. She's one of those countries that is able to turn the desert into a, a farming community. Anybody that knows Israel, uh, they're just phenomenal when it comes to, to taking the rock and making something grow out of it. They also are very good at weapons. A lot of the weaponry that even America uses, the technical weapon, were actually... Um, um, I don't not say what manufactured, but the concept was was innovated in Israel. And then don't forget this: she's very good at medicine as well, and also she's very good at technology. As a matter of fact, they call her the Silicon Valley of the Middle East. A lot of the technology comes out of Israel, but a lot of people also forget something else: that Israel has some of the richest deposits of minerals in the Dead Sea. Yeah. They've estimated it uh, trillions of dollars worth, uh, and uh, it has calcium, it has sodium, it has potassium, it has uh, pot- potash uh, bromide, it also has magnesium. And I don't know if you know this, but the, the next great battle for resources is the seas. As a matter of fact, America and Russia and China are now in a massive competition to try to get up to the Arctic area to claim territory because they understand that the wealth within the seas is the untapped resources and so I expect in the future that the Dead Sea and the recognition of the wealth within the Dead Sea, I think that would be a tremendous prize to have in terms of the resources. The other thing that Israel has uh, is oil deposits on the southern end of the Dead Sea. It has something called bitumen, which is like the asphalt we use, that is used for paving the roads. Uh, if you read in the uh, book of Judges, the talk about the slime pits that I mentioned, they have this bitumen. Trinidad has it as well, uh, called the Pitch Lake. But in the southern uh, part of, uh, uh, of um, uh, Israel, they have these oil deposits and also this particular, this is also wealth that Israel hasn't really tapped into. But again, uh, so it's, it's, it, when you ask what spoil do they want, uh, if you think of where the world is heading in terms of where the resources are, and of course they're talking now about uh, special minerals that are needed to do certain technology, I would not be surprised that a lot of that mineral that is needed for the new technology is discovered within the confines of the, of the uh, Dead Sea, making it so much much valuable, right? And remember that the Dead Sea, for thousands of years, things have been flowing into it, but nothing can, can get out. So all that rich deposit, you can just imagine, is just, I'm told if you go to the Dead Sea, you can't sink. Right, right. <laughs> the density, right? Again, that's because of all the mineral resources that are there. It's abundant, but again, it's something that's untapped. But again, when you look at the general trend today, that is where uh, everybody's trying to stake out uh, the, the seas now because that's where the wealth is, et cetera, et cetera. So um, this would somewhat help to explain, again, why this invasion would occur. It's not only to wipe Israel off the map, but also to get her wealth. Uh, and her resources that would be uh, that's why it says you want to take a spoil so I do think there's an ulterior motive the idea might have been first of all that's wipe wipe Israel off the net but again well if we do that and we get rid of her why don't we change remember what Trump was saying when they went in take the oil and he said (laughs) you remember what Trump said when they went in um, and got rid of ISIS the caliphate he said seize the oil we want the oil. And I think they still have the oil in that area because why do we expend all this money to defeat the caliphate and and what we do with the oil? How we can get back the money that we invested in, in this invasion? Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but this would be a scenario of a similar nation. If we're going to deal with the nation of Israel, why not seize the wealth, quite frankly? And that's what uh, it is talking about here. The other thing that's worth noticing, noting is in verse 13, 
Could you read that for me? Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take away great spoil? Yeah. So when this Russian Arabic Afro uh, invasion occurs, you know have nations protesting. But notice that uh, uh, because an event like this cannot occur on the international stage without somebody protesting, quite frankly. Remember that uh, there are nations that are allied, Arab nations allied with Israel. For example, Saudi Arabia, because they're two different groups. They've got the Sunnis and they've got the, 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 the Shiite. And uh, the biggest Muslim group, by the way, is not the the Iran group, it's the other group, which is, I think is Sunnis, which is the, the uh, they're more Sunnis than they are uh, Shiites. But uh, it's, um, Iran is Shiite, and very strong military, but she's against Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia is trying to lead the other Muslim group. It's just that you have different denominations within Christianity. You got the you know you got the Protestant, you got the Catholic. That's a similar situation that's going on in the Muslim world. So you've got these people. So and it's significant who protests here in this particular passage. For example, uh, Sheba and uh, Dedan. Those are places in Saudi Arabia. Okay. Right. So you can see that uh, when this invasion occurs, you can see why it's why um, why they would protest. Why? Because they are aligning themselves with Israel to deal with Iran. But Iran is aligned with, with who? Russia, and they're coming against Israel. So it's not surprising that. And then Tarshish. Uh, there are two possible options for Tarshish. There are people who believe that scholars who believe it's, it's Spain. Okay. Uh, because. The word Tarshish means seacoast. And when you look at uh, Bible references to Tarshish, remember that um, Jonah flew to Tarshish. So it is actually east of Israel. The other thing that some people believe it could be England, right? So they're not too sure if it's either Spain or England. But the reason why they, they say that is because these were two maritime powers, that there was trade going on between these maritime powers. And uh, so it is... It is uh, the other thing is that, notice that... Uh, Tarshish and who? Young lions. Young lions. And this is where a lot of people believe it's England. Okay. Because the symbol of England is a lion, and the long, young lions that came out of England would be America, the US, Canada, uh, uh, New Zealand, and Australia. Those are countries that came out because of the colonization of England. So they would be considered the young lions. So you can see that at the uh, Saudi Arabia protesting and you can see why the young lands these countries that came out of um, England England itself the US uh, Canada um, Australia etc these would also protest against that so it, it when you took it when you look at uh, the accuracy of the scripture and the current alignment you, you wonder how how it was possible to to foresee this but this always helps you as well to have a uh, understand the credibility of the Bible and give you stronger faith in Scripture that is a prophetic book. It, it could see into the future and tell you exactly what's going to happen. So this strengthens the believer's faith to see this kind of thing happening. In relation to, uh, I don't know if you have anything else you want to mention no, about ahead. the invasion. Um, what are the reasons for the invasion? I know you've touched on it some. Do you have anything else you want to mention? Well, the, the two main reasons that I mentioned here, clearly one would be to completely annihilate Israel. Because you remember that Iran has always uh, been uh, threatening 
to push Israel into the sea, even to bomb Israel into obliteration. The problem, I think, that has prevented the, the Muslims moving on Israel is that everybody knows that Israel has the bomb. So you can't, you can't, uh, right now, uh, Iran doesn't have the bomb. She's trying to get the bomb. I think that's where the, and Israel have said, you know, uh, we will never, never uh, stay around and let Iran have the bomb. So it can be guaranteed that any time Iran comes close to the bomb, uh, Israel is going to take some action and there's going to be some kind of military uh, thing taken to prevent Iran from having the bomb. They did it before they blew up the attempts of Iran to, to have a bomb and, and Israel will do it again because it's an existential threat to the existence of Israel. When you have um, 680 million uh, enemies and you only have 10 million people, I mean the disparity of that is, is I, I don't know how she survives. Right. I think she's the greatest miracle nation on planet Earth today that she can survive. Remember that she's up in the north you got Turkey, and you got um, you got Syria, and then to the to the to the west, uh, you got Lebanon, you got Iran, you got Iraq, then to the south, you got Arabia, you got Egypt. So I don't know how in the world. I mean, she is literally surrounded by every uh, Muslim country you think about. How she survives is just miraculous, and I think that God preserves Israel because, as I said, uh, she is part of his plan uh, for the future. What would you say, as far as we can tell from Scripture, obviously we believe this is futuristic, and so we're, we can't read too much into it, but what are we supposed to believe that the response of the world is going to be to this invasion? Well, we are given an indication that there would be a protest by um, uh, Saudi Arabia and England and her young lions, which would be the the country that came out of the British Commonwealth and those that were founded and colonized by England. We can understand that. What what uh, kind of surprises me, uh, and I, I suppose America might be included in the young lions because America actually is a, a colony that started out from England. Uh, and a lot of people sometimes wonder where does America play any role in prophecy. Uh, clearly, she, if she's one of the young lions, she's at this point now where she cannot stop this intervention. She doesn't seem to have the power. All she can do is to protest and voice uh, her opinion against it. And this is where, when you consider that she is not mentioned anywhere in Bible prophecy, this is perhaps the only indication that is a possibility that she is one of the young lands. But she doesn't have the military might and power to seem to resist and to force this uh, uh, confederacy to desist from invading Israel. So she might have lost her power by then. And I think anyone, Nathan, that looks on the global scene today would know that Americans' power has been weakened. There's no question about that. After America left Afghanistan, uh, I think it was the most shameful departure, the way she departed, and leaving $80 billion in the highest sophisticated form of equipment. I saw the, the this is the uh, one, one, one year celebration of not celebration memorial to that fiasco. I saw the I saw it again on television. I saw the when the plane was leaving the last plane. I saw these people grabbing on the plane. I had seen it before where people dropping off the plane and, and being crushed to the thing. It was the most shameful thing that ever happened. You left so many people in there, that not only Americans, but people who worked with America against the Taliban and invested their lives, they were left to be slaughtered. 
uh, even British, for example, found it very difficult to believe because people who work with Britain as well, there's still a lot of those people who remain there who are in hiding. So it's a very shameful thing that happened, and America has lost its clout. There's no question about that. And uh, the, the woke. The wokeness is now into the military as well. Uh, uh, it's not training people to fight and defend any longer. It's a, a kind of a program that is, is, is trying to reshape the mind of the people rather than get people who create soldiers. Hello, Doctor. Yes. I brother, a deacon have married one to be a deacon. I, I didn't hear that. Uh, doctor, a deacon have to be a married man to be a deacon. A deacon? Yeah. Uh, I think that's up to the church. There are qualifications that would indicate that you want a mature person. And it is a fact said that a deacon should not be a deacon. If you can't run your home, you can't run the church. So I would think that would be that would be the proper thing to do. But again, um, I, I, I just think it's a wise thing to do. Because a deacon is going to have to substitute for the pastor when he's not there. He's going to be able to have to counsel and help people who are struggling with their homes, etc., etc. Uh, but I think that would be the, the wise thing to do to have a person who is married and who can deal with marital issues to help the, the pastor and the church uh, in the counseling domain. However, I'll be very honest with you. I wouldn't push this and make it an absolute I think there are people who are not married. Paul was not married, for example, and uh, they might have the gift of celibacy uh, and, and, and have uh, a spiritual gift that would be of tremendous benefit. I mean, who's just argued that the Apostle Paul, not married, was not able to give some good counseling on marriage? He got some of the best counseling in Corinthians chapter 7 on marriage, yet Paul himself was not married. But I think the church should choose be very careful when you choose somebody who is not married to be the deacon. That's what I would say. But if they are convinced that the person has all the assets that's needed, uh, I, I, I would think that that would be an exception. But it would be a rare exception in my judgment. I think it's much wiser to have a married man uh, to be a deacon than it is to have a, a single person. So why, why are you different between a, a deacon and an elder? Uh-huh. What do I what? What the difference between a deacon well, and an elder? Yeah, the the the, the elder. If you check uh, Acts chapter twenty, you'll find that the the deacon, the elder, and the bishop are the same persons. The difference is that um, the the pastor, the word pastor, is used for the pastor because he performs the shepherding work. So he's called a a, a shepherd. So his work of caring, but he's called the bishop. In his, his capacity of ruling, that's what the word bishop means, one who superintends, one that rules. So his position, uh, and then the word elder, generally speaking, it means that he's a senior person. He's not a neophyte, as Paul warns in the book of Timothy, not to choose a neophyte, yet to become stuck with pride. So it's dealing, the, the same word, the word that is used, if you read Acts chapter 20, you'll find that the elder, the bishop, and the pastor are all the same. It just focuses on different aspects of his ministry. The caring part is the pastoral work. The leading part and the ruling part is the is his role as bishop. And then the fact that he's a senior adult person as opposed to a, a young neophyte, uh, his seniority would be a, a matter that's mentioned there. But the same persons, the elders, elder, pastor, and bishop are the same in the Bible. You'll also find that in other parts of uh, Pauline epistles in, in, in Timothy as well. 
that this is refers to one office. People have separated it, and the church separated that, separated it, and there was no reason to do that. That's when they started adding bishop and archbishop and so on. Uh, and uh, but there's only two offices recognized in the Bible: the deacon and the elder, who is the pastor or bishop. Those those three positions, bishop, pastor, and elder, are the same. Okay, very clear. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. All right, have a good night. You too. And I, I hope that uh, you could cope with uh, when you go back and give my sympathy to your family as well and the family of your brother, please. Thank you very much for the call, Brother Williams. We appreciate you listening and calling in with your question. If you have a question, you can call and ask it live on the air. The phone line is now open and available, 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. If you are joining us on Facebook Live, thank you for joining us that way. Let me rephrase that. No matter how you're joining us tonight, we are glad that you are joining us. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can comment your questions right there in the comment section on your device. Pastor, a question that has come in. Uh, What did Solomon mean when he said, eat your food? And this is in... Song of Solomon 4.16. Awake, O north wind. And so, so is that Solomon what? Song of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 16. Okay. Okay. Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south. Blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Um, I am going to respond to that next week, but I'll tell you what I'm thinking immediately right here because it's an allegorical representation of intimacy between the uh, the, the man and the woman. Uh, uh, and so I, I just want to deal with that. I don't want to give you a quick answer right, right away, but I'm going to suggest to you that it's, it's really going to be it's more of a, um, a picturesque way of Solomon talking about intimacy using different imagery so let me let me deal with that please because um, I don't want to give you a quick answer without um, looking at it and examining it and give you a more thorough interpretation but I think that's what it means we I've notated that so we'll start out next week's episode with a more thorough answer to your question Again, if you want to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. And you can also call 268-462-7420. Until we receive your question, we will continue discussing Ezekiel 38, Gog and Magog. Uh, yeah, in verse uh, 14 to 16, Nathan, you got the intervention uh, by God, and there's just a few things I'd like to mention there. Uh, for example, you've got God addresses in verse 14, Magog. Uh, Gog. Uh, just read that verse, please. Verse 14 says, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people... Of Israel dwell safely, thou shalt not know it. 
And thou shalt come from the, thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in the Ogog before their eyes. Okay, so you're talking here about the, uh, uh, he addresses Gog in verse 14. Uh, he tells you the area he's coming from, he's coming from the north, this is, etc. In verse uh, 15, he tells you the army, it's a very large army, many people, great company, and they're very mobile and very lethal because the idea that they're using horses, it means that the mobility and speed that they have. The fatal mistake that um, this invading army is going to make is that they're going to rely on numbers and military hardware. The factor, the thing that they have not factored is the God factor. Uh, that this is going to be extraterrestrial warfare where supernatural power is going to intervene and wipe out this army. So it's not numbers that is going to win this war. It's not the military equipment and hardware that's going to win this war. Uh, God is going to win this war and he's going to show exactly how that's going to be done. In verse number 16, notice the attack that is mentioned. It tells you who's going to attack, when they're going to attack, and why they're going to attack. Verse 16, And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel, as a cloud to cover the land, it shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me, when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. Again, notice that uh, they're coming against. They're coming against my people, my land, the land of Israel. So it's very, very clear again throughout this whole prophecy that Israel is going to be the target of this invasion. Again, notice when it occurs, 16? In the latter days. In the latter days, again. That, and then why it occurs, the purpose of it, in verse 16 and D? The heathen may know me. Okay, God intention. And then uh, read verse 16, please. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee. So we got God's intention, basically, is to bring this invading army against his people. And remember that all of the um, invasions that Israel has encountered is because God is chasing the nation of Israel to bring her back to faith. When this army comes, Israel is going to panic. No question about that. If you see Russia, Iran, um, Libya, Sudan, Gomer coming against you, quite frankly, you're almost wondering how you're ever going to survive. But when this victory comes, Israel then realizes that God is the true God of Israel. And this is where her faith is going to be regenerated. But that's why the, the, you've got to create this atmosphere where there's no hope. I mean, we're surrounded. You've got north, you've got west, you've got south. The only place we can go into the sea. I think at that time, Israel calls to God for help and for mercy. And the God intervenes. And then Israel realizes that this is God. Uh, this is God. So there's going to be this uh, intervention. In verse 16, it says that, uh, 16b, that the heathen may what? 
know that may know me. This is the ultimate goal that God has in mind, that the nation of the world recognizes who the true God. There's a great battle going on today. You've got Allah, you've got Jehovah, and in that part of the world, the question is, who is stronger? Allah has the numbers, no question about that. It's going to learn that the, a nation of 10 million people fighting against a million of 600 something million people, who the real God is. And that's how the Muslims, by the way, judge, even in the Old Testament. Uh, when they went to war, if they defeated you, their God won. They still think in those, those, those terms. And I think at this point in time, they would also recognize who the true God because... So it's uh, going to be a modern day uh, of Baal and God. Baal and God, yeah. You prove again uh, who's, who's really God. I think yeah. that I, we're coming to that stage because of the unbelief of our times. Yeah. I, I, and I think that uh, there are people who would desire that there could be something of this to really settle this whole question. Who is the, who's the real God of, of, of the universe? Is it Allah? Is it Jehovah? And uh, the prophecy says it can prove that Jehovah is going to be. The thing about it, uh, Nathan, when you go through the book of Ezekiel, and we don't have time to look at these, but 71 times in the book of Ezekiel, that expression is used, that the heathen or the world might know that I am God. I can give you 71 of those references right now. It's very significant. Ezekiel has... um, uh, what? Um, how many chapters? I think it. I know. Forty-one. Forty. No, it has about forty-eight chapters. I okay. think it does. Forty-eight. Yes. Yeah, forty-eight chapters. So in forty-eight chapters, uh, seventy-one times between chapter one and chapter thirty-eight, it is mentioned that the heathen may know, that the world may know. That is very, very significant, uh, that within uh, those chapters you've got 71 times it's mentioned. If I might just give you a scattering of them so we can see, yeah. prove that to the people. Look at um, chapter 5, verse 13. I'm going to just give some quick references. 5.13 says, Thus shall mine anger be accomplished, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them, and I will be comforted. And they shall know that I am the Lord and have spoken it in my zeal. Look at verse chapter 14, verse 8. And I will set my face against that man and will make a sign and a proverb. And I will cut him off from the midst of my people. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. And look at verse 20, chapter 29, verse 6. I'll just give you some quick references all around the, the book of Ezekiel. <clears throat> and all of the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord, because they have been a staff of reed of the house of Israel. Read verse 9. It says in chapter 29. 29.9 says, And the land of Egypt shall be desolate and waste, And they shall know that I am the Lord, because he hath said, The river is mine, and I have made it. Look at verse 16. And it shall be no more the confidence of the house of Israel, which bringeth their iniquity to remembrance, when they shall look after them. But they shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 21, just, uh, just because I'm in that chapter, verse 21. In that day, I will cause the horn of the house of Israel to bud forth, and I will give thee the opening of the mouth in the midst of them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 35, for just a moment. Verse 4. 
I will lay thy cities waste, and thou shalt be desolate, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Verse 9, same chapter. I will make thee perpetual desolations, and thy cities shall not return, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Yeah. I can give you, I mean, verse after verse after. As I said, anyone that has a commentary or has a, um, a, a Bible concordance, <clears throat> look for that expression, and they should know that I am the Lord. And you'll see that it's, it's 71 times between chapter 1 and chapter 38. Uh, this is not an accident, and God is trying to reestablish his recognition in human history and he does it through his self-revelation as he inflicts this tremendous loss uh, on these uh, these nations. In verse 17 to uh, 23, Nathan, you have the complete annihilation of these, uh, these armies. Look at verse 17. Of uh, Ezekiel 38? Yes, please. Ezekiel 38, verse 17 <clears throat> says, Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them? Again, the first thing he does here is give you an allusion to the prophetic writings that indicate the other writings in the Bible that deals with this. We talked about it last time. For example, if you want to do something quickly, um, Joel chapter 2, verse 2 to 28, you'll find that reference is made there to an invasion of Israel. Joel 2, what verses? 20 to 28. But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive them into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the sea, east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and I will, and his ill savior shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beast of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, and for the tree beareth her fruit, and the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause it to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dwelt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed." What verse do you want me to go through? Okay, I think that's good enough. I want to not mention the northern army that's going to be destroyed. and mention the stench, stench of it. It's interesting that in this passage of Ezekiel, uh, it's going to, uh, the stench again is, is mentioned in this particular passage, begin to deal with it. But again, notice that uh, in the uh, verse 17, mention is, is made that the prophets, other prophets, had alluded to this same catastrophic um, defeat of the Russian Northern Alliance that's going to happen. And that's just one example of the Northern Army that's going to be destroyed in Israel. 
look at verse 18 and notice uh, not only the uh, allusion to the prophets, but notice the anger that we find in verse 18 and 19, how God, God explains his anger. And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. Yeah. So this is God expressing his anger, his wrath, his indignation that this northern alliance aligned with these Arabic nations coming against if to destroy Israel. And, and God here, his patience is exhausted, and he has decided that I'm going to annihilate uh, this army that tries to annihilate my people and bring this swift destruction. So you talk about his anger uh, there in that chapter. Look at verse 19 as well. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. Again, two things there. Notice that um, his anger is because he's jealous. And what's he jealous for? He's jealous over his people, Israel. You know, some people think that God should not be a jealous God. I've heard people think that jealousy is an evil thing. Jealousy is not necessarily evil. It depends on what you're jealous about. It's right for a man to be jealous over his wife if another man is trying to cheat and get get, get her. And as clear, God is jealous. In, but notice, is he's jealous on the behalf of Israel, but notice he's wrathful under the part of those who are coming against it. So both jealousy and wrath are found in this same verse. Wrath towards the enemy, jealousy over his people. And then look at verse 19 uh, to 22, where it tells you what action God will take. And uh, in verse 18, um, read that, please. Uh, which verse? Read from verse sorry, uh, 19. Verse 19, For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. That's the verse 22. Uh, verse 21 says, And I will call for a sword against them throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And verse 22 says, And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him an ever-flowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Yeah. The point that needs to be made here, Nathan, there's going to be an earthquake that the world has never heard before. This is, you know, they always thought the big one is coming, the big one is coming. This will take place in Israel. And the Bible makes it very, very clear that this will have universal uh, effects. It says the dread of this, what will happen, even the fish to fall, in the it's going to affect the entire uh nature, fish, fowl, beasts, creeping things, even man himself will tremble because I feel it's going to be felt around the world when this, this thing happens. Remember that Israel that descended the world, I don't know if you know it, look on a map. The Bible also describes Israel descended the world. So I think that when this earthquake occurs, it's going to be such a powerful seismic explosion that it's going to be felt globally in this matter. And then it says um, the steep places would fall. 
it says every wall will fall to the ground. That's the phrase I keep looking at. <laughs> so it gives you an idea that the mountains are going to collapse, buildings are going to collapse. It's going to be totally devastation. Uh, there'll be a violent shaking of the earth. Uh, the Bible talks about animate and inanimate will be affected, and there'll be a great convulsion in the earth. And then God said in verse 21, uh, read that again, please. Verse 21 says, And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. So there's going to be a, a panic, a lethal panic within the armies that come against Israel. You remember also in the Bible, there's another case where God brought noise in the mulberry trees and the, the enemy started killing each other because they were so fearful. When this occurs, every man is for himself. Every man wants to escape. Every man wants to find some place to hide. So what happens in the darkness of what is going on, you, you, you think maybe it's a nuclear explosion, and therefore you, you're not too sure where your enemy is. And this is where the Bible says every man's soul to be against each other. It will be a time of total confusion and mayhem and will lead to this. Uh, this, this. And then the Bible says, um, verse 22, could you read that? And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and a brimstone. These are the weapons that man have no defense against. These are what you might call the supernatural cosmic weapons that God uses. He uses six of them. He talks about pestilence. Pestilence is disease uh, that will occur in that point. And then he talks about rain. You remember uh, where in one of the Old Testament incidents where I think uh, Pharaoh's uh, um, chariots coming against Israel got bogged down in the Red Sea. If you, if, if, if you imagine uh, this modern army coming against Israel and they're coming with tanks, they're coming with, with, with vehicles, etc., etc., the only thing that can stop all of that is rain, quite frankly. It is so... Imagine a, a, um, you, it's so water, waterlogged that the vehicles can't travel, the, 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 uh, the tanks are all messed up. This is where man has no solution when God brings this thing. And then it talks about hailstones. Uh, you might call them ice grenades, quite frankly. Uh, it's pounding these tanks and pounding these soldiers, etc., etc. And then he mentions fire and brimstone. This is earth, volcanic activity begins to happen as well. Put yourself in a situation where you think you've got the best army in the world. You come against Israel. Suddenly, out of nowhere, you have this massive explosion. Everything is shaking. Then to add that, fire is coming from all directions. Love is coming from all directions. The only thing you're thinking about resigning is resigning and going home. <laughs> surviving. But in the process, you're not too sure who you're meeting. Is this a nuclear explosion? What is it? Yeah. Right? That gives you the, the panic that God talks about here. So there's going to be earthquake volcanic activity, torrential rain, disease, and all the technology that man has, there's no defense against these weapons that God uses to defend Israel. It's a supernatural act so that when the world realizes that all of these armies, how can at the moment they're about to invade Israel, this earthquake happens, this volcanic activity happens, this torrential rain comes that we've never seen before, the world comes to one conclusion, this can only be God. See, and that's what God said. The world will recognize that I am Jehovah, quite frankly, and they will glorify me and recognize who I am. This is the ultimate goal God, God has, his self-revelation of himself and his judgment, the severity of it uh, on the enemies of Israel. Is that not an attitude of pride, though, on the part of God? How would you respond to the listener who says that? Well, 
God is to be glorified. There's no higher being in the universe. Uh, it's just like your parents. You want to respect your parents. Uh, your teachers, the government. You, is the prime minister or of a country wrong to demand certain protocols? I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Uh, I think that kind of thinking, Nathan, I know it may not be coming from your direction, but I think that kind of thinking, I heard that, um, I heard um, this popular lady, what's her name? Oprah. Okay. I hear Oprah, I got a, uh, Oprah said that Jesus Christ is the biggest egotist uh, uh, that ever existed because he wow. wants everybody to believe that he's the only way. So wow. uh, it's, that's how, that's the kind of language is used. Uh, but the ultimate goal of mankind is to glorify God. And in what way would God be selfish if he's the highest being of the universe who made us? We ought to uh, show him praise and glory, etc., etc. I think it's a, it's, um, I think it's a, uh, arrogance to charge God with um, egotism to want himself to be glorified. There's no other being in the universe that should be glorified but God himself. Uh, so I, I don't see it that way. I just see it that it's the creature's job uh, of the, to recognize the Creator and praise the Creator and magnify the Creator and be thankful to the Creator and glorify the Creator. That's why in the Westminster's uh, Catechism, what's the whole purpose of man? The purpose of man is to glorify God. That has been the position of the Church. And anyone that has any reasoning about creation and believing in God and His holiness and His righteousness and His love, would know that he alone deserves glory, he alone deserves praise. Question from a listener. The war of Gog and Magog will happen in the latter days. Will this happen before or after the rapture? Will it be during the seven years of the tribulation? Well, that is where uh, we're trying to fit it into some category. The the thing that leads me to uh, be uh, somewhat inclined, though I'm not dogmatic on it, is that when it says that when they come against Israel, Israel is eternally secure, and the walls, she no longer have a wall of security. So something has happened to make Israel believe that she has security. The thing that leads me to Daniel chapter 9 is that the Antichrist who will be the leader at the end time, he signs a peace track with Israel for seven years. That would seem to me to be the period when Israel feels that she is at peace and uh, do that. That's why it leads me to think that it might be the tribulation period. But I just don't know. Uh, what I do know that this is going to happen, how it fits into the end times, what it happened before. What I would say this, the mere fact that we can look on the world scene today and see the alliance already there. Remember that Iran and, uh, and Russia are in bed. Okay. Remember that Sudan... And remember also that um, Libya are associated with Iran. They're all Arabic countries. So we can see that they are connected already. Remember also that Turkey is a Muslim country. The thing about Turkey, though, that Turkey belongs to the European economic community. And uh, one wonders. And remember also that Turkey has been drawn closer to Russia. Russia, there was a, uh, last year I think it was, there was confusion that Turkey bought planes from Russia. And the Allies were saying, but you're part of the EU. Why did you not buy them from America? And there was a lot of back and forth about, you know, how can you be a part of the European Economic Committee and buying weapons from Russia? But that's what happened, because Russia and Turkey are also in cahoots. 
the, the alliance is there already. We don't, I, I remember that uh, the Bible talks about a 10-nation confederacy. The EU has more nations than the Bible talks about. I do believe as we move on that some of these islands are gonna, countries are going to drop out. It very, very well be that Turkey may be one of those countries that drop out. But it is interesting that when you look at the geopolitical arrangement today and the alliances today, they are all there. There is a little bit more to be done, but there's no doubt that behind the scenes... Uh, something is being done. For example, how is Russia going to survive because of all the, the economic uh, pressure that was put on her by America, the sanctions? Well, she has to find other allies. And who's her best ally? China's her best ally because China gets her oil, can buy her oil from Russia. Uh, again, Iran needs to do a nuclear weapon. Where she get the technology from? She gets it from Russia. So you can see the geopolitical arrangement, and it makes sense how this thing is happening, see? So I think when we look at it today, we ought to be very, very much aware that it is much later than we think when it comes to the whole matter of the rapture. We might think we have another 10 or 15 years. We just don't know. This thing is going to happen. And by the way, what is happening today is happening so fast that you can't believe it is happening. <laughs> I mean, you and I, in my lifetime, you and I could never conceive in my lifetime that it would happen so fast that homosexuality is so normally accepted. I mean, it's like it just took a little while to get it. Then after that, transgender, how did that get accepted so quickly? Mm -hmm. So things are happening so fast that you and I need to be very much aware of the prophetic times we're living and to prepare for that eventuality and to be watching and waiting and praying and expecting the Lord's return. It is much sooner than we think, and uh, therefore we ought to be, every man that have this hope purified himself. For the listener who has just tuned in for the first time to the Radio Lighthouse and says, Pastor Murphy, you've intrigued me. How do I make sure that I am right with God? There's only one way to be right with God, and that's to be right with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, God sent His Son to reconcile us to Him. And the way God did this is that allow His Son to die in our place so that we may have our sins forgiven and that we might have the righteousness that we need to be able to approach God. Solving the problem of sin is not sufficient in itself. Man's need to be forgiven of his sin, but man also needs to be given a righteousness that can approach God. And that's where the Bible says, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God not only forgives all of our sin, but he puts and imputes Christ's righteousness to our account so that God sees us in Christ and deals with us in Christ. That's the only way a person can be right with God is by putting their faith and trust in Christ and having forgiveness and be clothed in his righteousness. How would you respond to the listener who says, Pastor Murphy, I've listened to the Radio Lighthouse since the day it went on the air, September of 1975, and I have been going to church since 10 years before that, and I'm good with God because my auntie always took me to church, my grandma always took me to church, I memorized verses, and the priest or the pastor that I've followed, uh, that's why I'm right with God. Well, all I would say to a person like that, I, I hope you have a Bible. And I would ask you to search your Bible where it tells you anywhere that you are saved by going into the church. Uh, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So it's not the church. It's not baptism. It's not confirmation. None of these things. These are things that follow uh, conversion. 
Uh, but it is very, very clear that the no man comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. Peter says there is no other name under heaven given among men where we, why we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Uh, Paul tells us there is one mediator between man and God, the, one, the man Christ Jesus. So he's the mediator between God and man. He's the only way to God. He's the only name. Uh, and I would challenge you to read your Bible for yourself and make sure that you are depending on Christ and his finished work on the cross alone and nothing else. It's not church. It is Christ and Christ alone. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the ticket that will get you into glory. If you have church and you have baptism and you have confirmation and you have the Pope and you have the pastor, that is not a credential that you can prevent to say, Lord, let me in. You only come through the door, and the door is Jesus Christ. So just make sure you've got the door. And once you've got the door, you've got the entrance. In the last 30 seconds, any closing thoughts you want to share on Ezekiel 38? All I would say is this. uh, God's ultimate goal is that people recognize who he is, his identity. And you'll find that in this same passage, he's recognized as holy and great, and he's recognized as Lord. He wants to be recognized for his sovereignty. He's the great God of the universe. Thank you very much to the individual who sent in this question about Gog and Magog. And I trust that your question has been answered using scripture over the last two weeks. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.